right? These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few, thing, a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You know, um, I was just thinking of this. We got this little fig tree out here by the back wall. And some years ago, well, we, have, we used to have several fig trees and they eventually all died. Something got to it. I don't know what it was. Um, along with some other citrus trees, but this one that that um, there was that was a big one. That was a real big fig tree. It's got good purple figs it produced. And some years back, it died, and we just had to cut it down. There was like some kind of uh, carpenter bee in there, kind of cleaning it out and and having a heyday in there. Um, and we cut it down, and I thought, oh, that's the end of that thing. And it started sprouting back. And at the time, we had Ben Hansen here. The Hansons were with us, and Ben, he would work for us a couple times, once or twice a week uh, for the church. I'd have him do some things, landscaping and maintenance. And um, he decided, he saw this thing sprouting back. He decided, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to bring this thing back to life. I'm like, Ben, that thing's dying. Don't worry about that thing, you know. And he put something down there. He put a, uh, a stake down because uh, it was just growing up, and he tied it, and it started sprouting up. And actually, two of them started sprouting up, and... And he just kind of nursed that thing back, and then Ben ups and leaves and does his thing, and and now he's in the Marines. But and uh, but now it's grown back pretty good. After a few years, it it produced. I mean, I think maybe two years ago it started really producing some figs again, and and this last summer produced some figs. The birds are getting to them though. Uh, so, but I, I get all excited about that. I like I like those those fig fig trees. But it was about to. It really we thought it was dead. We thought it was dead, but apparently it wasn't because the root is still active in the ground and it's being um, watered and it sprouted back. And, um, you know, sometimes there's things, maybe you have a tree like that. You have, I got this pathetic tree, you know, and you can see some branches that are dying and, and uh, you think, well, maybe I can get, maybe I can make this thing work. And so you trim off all the dead branches and you just make the most of maybe one good trunk and one good branch and just trim off all the dead stuff and water it and perhaps fertilize it, and you just try to strengthen the thing that remains and bring it back. And that's okay to do. That's what arborists or whatever you want to call the tree doctors say to do uh, if you want to keep a tree, uh, to trim it up, clean it up, and make strengthen the thing that's alive and fertilize it and water it and, and just treat it right, and you can recover it. Well, that's part of the advice that God gave to this church. This church was a dying church. He said, you're dead. That meant, by and large, they were dead. But there was a few things that were just still barely alive. God says, let's strengthen those things, and let's bring something back here 
church of Sardis and see if you can be recovered. And if you don't, church of Sardis, watch yourself and watch what's becoming of yourself. I'm going to come on you and just end this thing right quick. That's what God says. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ says about his own church. By the way, Jesus has the right to plant a church and to uproot a church. They all belong to him anyways. The gospel preaching church are his. Um, he has the prerogative on that. But let's look at this, some aspects here for the dying church. We, we typically, this through our outline that we've been through a is the address. Again, in, here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, it addresses the church of Sardis. Sardis was, if you remember the map, it's, it's still in the region of Asia Minor, and it, this one was 50 miles east of Smyrna. This church, this, this city, I should say, was 50 miles east of Smyrna. The church was in Sardis. Sardis itself, it is said, there's a lot of historical stuff you could read about it, but it, it is said, it has been said that this particular city, the way it was, uh, I don't, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago and even before that, the way it was situated and the walls and the particular place that, were, that it, was, that it uh, occupied was in a really good spot, kind of in an elevated area. There was a valley down below, and they said it was nearly impenetrable the way the city was. Not so much the church part now, but the city itself. And um, they, uh, you know, they, it was uh, hard to penetrate. But in history, there were a few invasions that did take place to the city of Sardis. Let me quickly tell you about one. In 550 B.C., so 550, oh, about 600 years before this was written, this letter, uh, the Persian uh, Cyrus led his forces, broke through, by forming a vertical line of soldiers, one upon another's shoulders, Croesus, the king of this region, of that region in the time that was over Sardis, had been aware of the Persians that were gathered below, but he slept through the night without a care. He acted, ah, we're fine, we're looking good, we're good. That's what he thought. The city was so confident, in fact, that no one even watched the city walls, which is uncommon in ancient times. Though some say even a child could have done it successfully watching on their city walls because it was such a good position. Years later in 200 B.C., 200, about 300 years before this letter was written, led by another group, not, not Persians, but this time the Greeks, Antiochus the Great, also broke through and another person conquered this city of Sardis. To do so... Uh, these enemies employed the services of a highly skilled mountain climber from Crete who scaled the wall and provided an alternate entry for the invading army. When the city devoted their exclusive focus to guarding only one known entry, which is a small steep pathway to the city gate, the Greeks entered from another point because they had failed to take a comprehensive approach. So this city, now think, let's separate the church part. This city was, was in a times of wealth and and everything, and it was doing well. This city, a couple of times, got lazy, and they were conquered. Now, that's, the, that's kind of the historical background. It gives you the address, gives you some awareness of that city. That's where this church was. Now, let's look at what Jesus, how Jesus attributes himself. Notice the attribute. That's, we looked at the address, where it's at, and some history. Now, notice his attribute. As we mentioned before, he says, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God... And the seven stars. It's an interesting uh, study on the seven spirits of God. It's curious, but I will try to summarize. I'll give you a few references. 
Zechariah 4.10 talks about, I believe, it mentions the seven, and it talks about how God's eyes, the seven eyes, and how God's eyes are aware everywhere. Isaiah 11 verses 2 to 3 talks about the Holy Spirit's uh, skill and advantage that, the, how the Holy Spirit uh, provides skill and advantage to the one that he rests upon. And he rested upon the Lord Jesus Christ, gave him the spirit of wisdom and of might and of knowledge and, uh, of, the, uh, and of counsel. So it describes his omniscience, his all-knowing, his all-seeing capacity when it says the seven spirits of God. It's a description of the fact that God sees everywhere and that he gives skill and advantage to the one that he rests upon. Take a quick look at Revelation 5, 6. Here's pictured Jesus Christ as a lamb. Now, some of the kind of, it almost seems sci-fi-ish, okay? But it's given you a type of... Uh, imagery to you under can perceive what Jesus is like and um, his descriptions here so notice Revelation 5 6 uh, John says I beheld when he was a vision in heaven and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns that's a good advantage and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So here you see the seven eyes equated with the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. The idea is that God is a, sees everywhere. So as, let's go back now to Revelation 3 and try to perceive what's being said. Jesus is writing to the church of Sardis. Hey, Sardis, these things saith he that has the seven spirits of God. I'm fully aware of what's going on there. And... Um, and I have the seven stars. Those are, the, those are the, the, the messengers, the pastors, the leaders of the church. He has, he has a sway on them. He says, now notice his, uh, uh, his assessment, okay? That was his attribute. Notice his assessment, number three. I know thy works. Have you ever come, hey, all right, kids. Um, have your parents ever called you at home and said, what are you doing? Anybody ever, raise your hand. Does anybody have your parent call you at home and say, all right, what are you doing? All right, okay. And you're thinking, they don't know what I'm doing? Or you're thinking, is there a camera? <laughs> you know, sometimes I've done that. I've called my kids. I'm looking through the window. Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> they don't know that, though, you know. You know, God says to the church of Sarah, I know your works. I know what you're doing. Whether it was good or bad, he goes, I know your works. I'm well aware of the whole, the way this church ministry is, you know. I know what this church is like. The Lord Jesus Christ assesses them. And what was it about their works? We'll see that their works were ready to die. They're basically on life support with the rest of them. Now he notices this. He says, I know thy works. Look at the next phrase, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Remember I gave you the example of I was all excited. I get to go to On the Border restaurant. And I was going to go to this On the Border restaurant in North Phoenix and after a fellowship meeting. And it showed it on my phone. And it showed me the address. And I show up there and there's a sign and it's dead. It had a name, but it's dead. That's not right. You know. So I went to Sweet Tomatoes instead. But they're dead too. They're, they went out of business. But So the Lord says to this church, you have a name. You have a, if it was nowadays, you got a, you got a church sign, you got a website, you got some tracks, but you go, there's this place, it's dead. This place is dead. 
You have a name that you live, but you're dead. I, um, um, I went to, when I was in Tennessee over a year ago, um, <clears throat> there was a very influential ministry for years and years and years, and they produced a lot of pastors and a lot of preachers. A lot of pastors, a lot of uh, missionaries as well. And it was a Tennessee Temple University, and some of you would know it. And there was uh, the, the church, kind of the home church, was called Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. How many of you heard of it? Okay. All right. That was like the happening place for a lot of Baptist pastors, independent Baptist pastors. Lee Robertson was the pastor, and he led them out of the Southern Baptist and kind of took a conservative approach and was very, very happening place. Um, conservative approach to ministry, but uh, I thought, you know, I'm in Tennessee, I'm in, I'm in, uh, this is over a year ago, I was like, yeah, I'm in um, Murfreesboro, I think I'll, Deb, I tell Deb, let's, let's go down and just go to, down there to Chattanooga and just kind of drive, see what it's like, I, I heard the, I heard the church has changed, and it did, it's not even the same, in fact, I think it's in a different location, and the, the college itself sold and merged with some other one in another state, I'm like, let's just go down there, I just kind of like, Maybe there's still some exciting feel about it down there. Has anybody been to Chattanooga? Raise your hand if you've been there. All right. Susan, you're okay. Will, you did? What'd you think? Just, just the ten, okay. Man, I go down there, and now I, I didn't realize Chattanooga's pretty, it seems like it's pretty old. Some of you are thinking of the choo-choo. I can hear it right now. We, but we went there, and... I'm like, well, let me go by. Let me see if I can find the, the church. And I went by there. Man, it was dead. It was dead. Now, there was some kind of church there. I don't even know if it was the original church or if they sold the building and the, the former Highland Park Baptist Church went somewhere, which I think that's what happened. And somebody else bought the property. Man, that place is dead. And if I'm just going to judge on the kind of the facilities, you know, and I saw some of the old dorms and the old college buildings for Tennessee Temple, and I thought, wow. Oh, it had a name, but it's, it's gone now, you know. And I'm not going to get into all the reasons why, but sometimes a church can be like that. Well, I've mentioned before where they're like, yeah, I heard about such and such church, a good church. And you go there, you're going, what? It's just kind of, that had a good name to it. It had a good website, but man, that place is dead. I don't want to become like that for us. We got to stay vital for Jesus' sake. We got to stay connected to the Lord, connected to His Word, connected to a love for Him and a love for one another and active in ministry in a healthy, balanced way so we're alive and fruitful and valuable to the, to, to his, for His glory and to people around us. Not just like, well, we're maintaining a name. But they, the Lord's assessment of them, they got a name, but they're dead. There's little life. Perhaps in Sardis, it was just like there's people Order of service, there's things that happen, but it's just, nah. Perhaps there was no zeal for people. Perhaps there was no burden for the lost. Perhaps there was no excitement about the next fellowship or the next outreach. Perhaps it was like, eh, whatever. Perhaps that was like that. I don't want to ever get like that. And if we're like that in any way right now, we need to awaken. But notice his assignment now. Number four, the assignment. He says, um... Remember, verse, verse 3, or pardon me, verse 2. Be watchful, he says. He has several things he says. What? Hey, wake up. Look at what you're like. Be watchful. 
Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect for God. So when he says, be watchful, please wake up. Look at what you're like. Look at this. Strengthen the things which remain. What do you have? There was something that remained that was, I don't know what it meant. Maybe a handful of people that were still cared about serving God. Maybe it meant a particular ministry they had. Apparently, things would be plural, so it's a handful of things that were alive and were good. Perhaps it meant a prayer meeting, a preaching meeting, and an outreach. I don't know, but there were some things that remained that were there that were alive, but they're about to die. They're on life support, you know. It's beeping. It's about the flat line. I mean, this, I'm trying to give you an idea of this church. So if, uh, Jesus said, strengthen the things that remain that are, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works, he says, perfect before God. Now that is talking about there was incompleteness there. Perhaps it meant incomplete effort. Now when we think of perfect, we think, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. I understand that. But he's talking about complete. It's like when you, when you, when you bat, when you, when you swing the bat, guys, you follow through. You have a perfect swing means you, go, you, you keep your head and you follow all the way. Same thing with a golf swing. You don't just go like that. I don't know how to do a golf swing, but I know you go all the way through, you know. Um, but that, it's talking about having a perfect swing in the sense of a complete swing. And so he's, the Lord says, by way of ministry, I've not, your works are just like you're not following through. It's just like, okay, we did that. What's next? Okay, we did that. Let's go home. That's not perfect. You haven't, God says, I haven't found your works perfect before God. You just kind of barely pop through that prayer meeting or that visitation. Now God dumped off 10 tracks. Let's go home. The Lord says, I haven't found your works perfect before God. Strengthen the things that remain. You know, th this is one thing I've realized for us as a church. There's a part of me that would like to have all kinds of ministries, and maybe we'll have several more as we get older, as we grow and, and time comes by, goes by. But I realized, like, you know what? I just want to make what we have really good. I want to have really good split sessions. I want to have a really good Sunday school class when we get back at it. And we have teens probably sitting outside freezing or something. You know, I want to, or maybe we can remodel this kitchen, knock out some of these. I just want to have whatever we have really good. Strengthen what we do have. If we have a visit once a month or twice a month or every Saturday, whatever, make it really good. Strengthen the things which remain. Rather than having 20 things that are just like, nah, or even the current things that are just half-hearted, that are just, uh, if we just maintain kind of what we're doing, we're just going to die. It's going to flatline. But let's strengthen the things that remain. Our, our classes, our services, our singing. You know, we don't, we don't do tons and tons of music, and there's not a lot of fancy stuff, but let's just make it the best it can be. You know, I don't want to be far from being a Sardis church. I don't want to have our singing. Uh, imperfect before God. It can be perfect in that it's wholehearted. I don't want to have our visitation imperfect for God in that we did it, but we were, our heart wasn't in it. I don't want to have our prayer meetings imperfect before God or in that we just went through it, but it wasn't earnest and sincere. So the Lord says, here's my assignment. Be watchful. Strengthen the things that remain. I've not found them complete. You don't have complete efforts. They're not perfect before God. And then he says some more. He says, remember this. He gets that now. You're trying to discern what he means by remember. But notice verse 4 or verse 3. He says, remember therefore to the church how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. I think what he's doing, he's saying to remember up to your beginning. Remember the lively beginning of your church. I, I, I take it that's what he's saying. Remember how you heard and received. 
back then? Remember when the, the beginning of this church and it sprouted and, and how it was? And hold fast to those thoughts. Hold fast to those things you learned. And repent and change your current attitude. Repent means change your attitude. Man, you need, how many of you kids, your parents said, you need an attitude change. Change your attitude. Anybody? Yeah, some big kids. Me too, you know. Come on again. Any kids your parents told you in the last week, you'd change your attitude. Anybody? All right. Yeah, Rusty. Rusty's mom's calling him up. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like repentance. Change your attitude. That literally means change your mind. You have a different mind about what you've been like before. So he's trying to awaken this dead church and say, change your attitude. We're not playing games here. It's not fun being in the ICU, having this thing beep on your church and you're about to die. Let's get out of here. Come to life is what he's saying. All right, so he gives them an assignment. Be watchful, strengthen the things that will remain. Remember your lively beginning. It's almost like, now. well, let's look what he says next in verse 3. Right in the middle of verse 3, if therefore thou shalt not watch, that was the first thing he told them, if you won't start looking at yourself, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Whoa, now wait a minute. They probably thought, you know, this kind of happened to our city one time. 200 years ago, that Greek guy came in and just, and then 500 or 600 years ago, that other Persian guy came in. Jesus is talking about coming in and plundering this church. Hey, it's his church. It's his. He says, this place is useless. Let's wipe it out. Let's get something else going around here. That's what Jesus is saying about his own church. They're his candlesticks. He says, if you will not watch, you've got another invasion coming. A surprise invasion, but for the church. Um, and then, so that's the assignment. Now let's look at last of all, the announcement. This is good. Some good, good thoughts here. Um, he says, thou hast to, it's kind of an, a compliment as well, verse 4, thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Now, <clears throat> what we deem that to mean is that in that church there, he's saying there's a few, it's good and it's bad. <laughs> he said there's a few there that they haven't gotten all soiled in all the filth and all the paganism and all the immorality of the rest of the city. By the way, there was a huge temple there to Artemis, which is the goddess Diana. Huge. It, it was like 100 meters long by like 50 meters wide. That's big. Temple to this goddess. And perhaps people still, you know, frequented that. And the Lord says, I know people in Sardis. There's a few there. They're, they're staying away from that. They're trying to stay uh, earnest and they're living for me. They've not defiled their garments. And the Lord says, you know, they get to walk with me in white, for they are worthy. That's a description of, I believe, one day, a, a unique closeness with the Lord. Don't know exactly how that's going to work, but notice what it goes on to say. Verse um, 5, look at verse 5. Revelation 3, 5, look at it. He that overcometh, that's a description of Christians. Who is he that overcometh? But he that believeth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Wow. Now, here I'm wearing white. I have this thing. There's a tradition that if my wife has spaghetti, I will not be wearing white again for Sunday night. It might be something else or a different white shirt. You know, I just, 
spaghetti finds its way on me. You know, I don't mind wearing white, though. It's kind of nice. You, you, at least you feel clean, <laughs> you know. But there's something about, okay, well, let's, let's throw ourselves back 2,000 years. Who's going to, it's not, okay, you can go to Walmart and get some white shirts, some white T-shirts. 2,000 years, if you had white, it may, for one, it may not have been, it may not have been as easy to get as it is, but even if you did have it, it wasn't that common that people are just going about town wearing white. We're, we're a refined culture here in America, and we're able to kind of keep ourselves. They, people that wore white were ones that were definitely separated from whatever else was going on in the, the dirty activities of the day, or they're in leadership, or they're placed in a special place with a king. You got to wear white. Why? Because there's no risk of getting anything on them. They're in a place of protection and a place of cleanliness. Heaven is that. A place of protection, a place of cleanliness. No defilement. You can, it's okay to wear it. You know, uh, Rusty's not going to wear all white. He welds tomorrow and grinds. You know, I doubt it. You know, you already have this thing about not white shirts anyways, right? I mean, <laughs> there you go. See? By the way, I don't care if anybody does or doesn't, but um, but you see the idea. The Lord says, "Hey, the overcomers." He just <laughs> he's talking about clothing. Yes, when you get excited about this, some clothing. I bet you it's good stuff. You know, have you gone to me? Have you ever been to Neiman Marcus? I just go there to laugh. You know, is there still the one at the mills? I go there. It's like. I'll be like, hey, Jeff, come here, come here. Let's just look at this. There'll be a T-shirt. I'm like, what do you think it's going to be? I mean, it's just like a, just a really thin-made cotton T-shirt. I'm like, what do you think? What do you think? She'll make a guess, and I'll make a 90 bucks? We're <laughs> charging 90 bucks for that thing. Who's going to buy that? You know? And uh, anyways, that's sidetrack. I was just thinking of that. Isn't that silly? $90? Anyways, some of you are getting bored. I had to say something to bring you back here. But... The Lord will have something that's good. It's not going to be from Walmart. It's going to be heavenly garments, white. That's what we're going to wear. All right, but look what else he says. This is good. He says, I got good news. I got an announcement for those who are my overcomers. That's for those who've genuinely been saved. You ask Jesus to be your Savior, you're on board. You're an overcomer because you're trusting in the overcomer himself. He says, you get to walk with me in white. That conveys recognition and closeness being with him. And then he says, I got another good news for you. And I will not, verse 5 says, blot out his name out of the book of life. Not blot out my name. Now, that's good. No, it's sometimes a little hard discerning all the books and stuff in heaven. But here's one thing I think he's saying is it is stated that in a lot of the cities, like probably like Sardis, there was a book that had the names of all the residents when they were born there or when they came to reside there. They put their name in a book. So-and-so is born, put their name in this city book, this ledger, this registry. Uh, somebody moved here, you're moving here from whatever, Smyrna, we're writing down your name in the book, and the, there's the, the book. And when the person died, they blotted the name out of the book. They're dead. Well, they're dead. We're blotting them out. And the Lord says to us, I got a book too, and your name's in it by virtue of your faith in me, and it's not going to get blotted out. When we die, we just go from one realm to another. Not going to get blotted out. Furthermore, he says, 
I'll confess his name. You know, I was thinking about, isn't that nice having your name? My name remains. My name's in heaven. Remember Jesus said that in Luke when he sent out the, he sent out the 12 or, or some of the disciples to go and do some miracles and preach and teach and um, and he gave them power to do unusual things. And the disciples came back and they said, Lord, this is amazing. This is amazing. We saw the devil subject to us through your name. We were like, whoa, there's, there's, they're bowing to the name of Jesus Christ. They're, we're exercising devils. They're, they're leaving people when we say in the name of Jesus Christ. Wow, Lord, that was awesome. And the Lord basically says, you know, don't, don't get so excited about that. You should be excited because your name's are written in heaven. Wow. You know, the astronauts put a plaque on the moon. Um, I know Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong did put something there. You know, we come in peace, something, you know. And they put some things up there, and, and I think perhaps other astronauts have too. They're, there's names on the moon. Okay. Pretty cool the United States got there first. That's pretty neat. But my name is written in heaven, and so is yours. Wait a minute. Is it? If you're saved, it is. If you've not been saved, it's not. Written in the Lamb's Book of Life in particular. I remember when I played <clears throat> baseball, I tried out in 10th in grade at Mesa High, and I was really disappointed. We had a lot of guys try out. And I think I made the first cut. And the second cut, the way it works, all right, I got to get a survey, quick survey. How many ever been cut by a team? Anybody? Just me? Okay, a couple guys. All right. Thanks, man. I feel better. Thanks, guys. Group hug. That's yeah. getting cut. Uh, but anyways, I was, I was cut. But um, I think it was the second tryout. So we had a lot of guys, sophomore, so it would have been like a JV team. And I tried hard, tried hard. And... What happens is after several tryouts, you go to locker room and, um, well, what happened? You go to locker room, clean up, shower, go home. The next day after school, you go into the locker room where the coaches' offices are. You look on their window, because what it is is there's the locker room and the showers and all the lockers. We sit down, and then there's these windows, and the coaches are behind the, the windows, their little office, and they can still kind of keep supervision over us. Well, they post up in their window a name, all the names. Now, what's nice is they don't post the names of the guys. They, they just put the names of the guys that retain, that they've retained. If your name's not on there, you're gone, dude. So I go there. I'm looking for my Where's my name? Where's my name? Wait a minute. Where's my name? My name's not on there. And I got cut. It was kind of sad. A little bummed out. But it's better that my name's not getting omitted from the book of life. All glory to Jesus Christ. The Lord says, I won't blot your name out if you're an overcomer. And then notice this. <clears throat> oh, I like this. He says, but I will confess. Isn't that neat? Look at verse 5. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Have you ever gotten excited and somebody like on an intercom, somebody says your name? See, you, maybe it's not anymore. When I was a kid, if somebody said your name through a speaker, through a microphone and speakers, you're like, wow, I'm famous. You know? Or if your name got run across one of those marquees at your school or something, happy birthday, Zachary, Skyler, you know, Camden. 
Truxton, happy birthday this month. You know, all these new names. Anyways, <laughs> uh, but you know, if, wow, my name is on a wow. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? You get all excited about that. Now listen, the Lord says, overcomers, I'm not going to blot your name out, but I'm going to confess it before the, my father. And they, I mean, what, how much more of an important audience can you have? Look what it says. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That's an important audience. Wow. You know, you ever been in a big group, a big gathering, and maybe it's important people, and maybe the speaker says, hey, so-and-so, good to have you here today. I just want you to know I was a friend with, with this man, Will Youngblood, over here, and, and he's a good guy, and, and, and Will's just like, oh, man, that's my name in front of all these important people. Whoa, I feel good. Sorry, Will, to presume upon your affections there. But, um, you know, I would feel like that. I'm like, wow, he said my name in front of all these important people. But this is really what the Bible says. We're not just making this up. He says, I don't know how long it's going to take, but he's going to confess our name before the Father. He's going to say, Rusty Burton is one of mine, Father. And all the angels, just maybe they'll say amen. I don't know. And, and uh, Chris Carnes is my, is my redeemed child. And the Lord will say something like that. He's going to confess our name each individually before the best audience, the most important audience, a holy audience one day. Wow, that's something good to look forward to. Better than the marquee at your elementary school saying happy birthday. And then he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. So that means listen to this, listen to this, listen to what it's saying. Everybody. So let me ask a few questions and we'll give a few examples before we close. Are we, think, let's ask ourselves as a church, are we complete? Are our ministries, are our works are we being complete? Are we being perfect in the sense that Jesus said perfect? Are we kind of imperfect? Is, are we dying? Is there something dying? We need to see it revived again, if it is. Um, I, a couple things. I, I read about... <clears throat> so, okay, so here's the Lord's challenge to start his church he he writes to them writes to the to the angel angels delivering it to them and and, and being the, the the leader and the communicator and he tells them you have a name but you're dead strengthen the things which remain if you don't i'm going to come upon you and um, we're going to wrap this business up and he gives the encouragements the announcements etc you ever wonder what happened to that church did that church ever respond I wonder, if they, I wonder if he came on them as a thief. Did he ever come on Sardis as a thief? Now, quite frankly, today, as far as I know, there's no church that still exists there. And church is not to be confined only to a location forever and ever and ever. Okay, But it's primarily Muslim out there in Asia Minor. But what happened in perhaps the years following? And I read something about 100 years after this epistle was written, so late 100s, early 200s, a godly man named Melito served as bishop in Sardis. That would have been a pastor. This is pre-Roman Catholic Church. <clears throat> he served as a bishop there in Sardis. That tells you there was a church. That tells you that they were watchful. That tells you they woke up. That tells you they put the jumper cables on and got alive and, and uh, uh, you know, that, that they, they came back up to life. 
It indicates a wonderful revival took place and they're resuscitated. Melito, kind of as a side note, this man, the reason we know about Melito is because he wrote a defense, a formal document called somewhere somehow titled The Defense of Christianity and sent it to the Roman emperor of that day to defend Christianity. It's also interesting to note that even back in that day, Melito wrote, when he wrote this defense of Christianity, he wrote and defended the literal millennium, the literal millennial reign of Jesus Christ, which is interesting, kind of a, most of us don't think about. It's kind of an interesting theological thought because some people think it's all symbolic. But that's a side note, but what's interesting is that somehow they responded to the admonition of the Lord. And that church went from being, oh, they're just barely dead to now they're coming back and there's fruit again. And there's something, there's something there that's beneficial to the glory of God. So we got to ask ourselves, <clears throat> are, we be, are we getting dead? And the fact is a church is dead, not because it's a church, but it, it's basically what we are in private is going to feel is, is what we become when we're gathered together. You know, if we're all, if we have dead devotional lives, it's gonna, we'll feel it when we're here. If we have dead prayer life, all by and large, most of us will feel it when we're here. If we have a dead concern for the lost, you know, the majority of and we come together, we're gonna feel it in our response to a gospel need. And so let's ask God to revive us. We'll have to sing a classic song, revive us again. If that be the case, I, I sense that we're doing well, but if you sense something's ready to die in yourself, say, God, waken that. Waken me again. Maybe it's even just in a personal, something that was not touched on. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for, <clears throat> thank you for this church of Sardis.